Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the LKM Co. Youth and Education podcast. Today's is a special edition which was recorded at the recent Festival of Education at Wellington College Um, and it's a panel debate. So I chaired a panel debate with a really, really interesting panel which was um, Dr Tony Sewell who's the founder and director of Generating Genius, Emmanuel Akpan Ingwan who's the director of Lighthouse, Karen Isles, who's the National Director of Programmes and Delivery for Achievement for All, and James Turner, who's the CEO of the Saturn Trust. We discussed social mobility, and the title of the panel was We Need to Stop Talking About Social Mobility. Without further ado, I'm going to leave you to listen to it, because it was a fascinating discussion, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed sharing it. LKM co-believe society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Can we listen to it now? Hello everyone, I'd like to thank you for coming to our panel today. Today's panel is about, it's called We Need to Stop Talking About Social Mobility and um, we're going to have a great time for the next 40 minutes or so. I'd like to introduce you to my, our panellists who are fantastic and we're going to have a really interesting discussion. So this is Dr Tony Sewell, CB. He's the, chari- he's the CEO of Charity Generating Genius, which works towards um, getting underrepresented groups to do STEM at our top universities, something very close to my heart because I spent a long part of my career as a maths teacher and I as a mechanical engineer, so something I really, really care about. He graduated from the University of Essex in 1981 and studied literature. He's formerly an academic at the University of Leeds and has published widely on issues to do with underachievement in schools and talent development. Earlier today I was talking to Emmanuel, who's one of our other panellists, and he mentioned Tony's book, which is called Black Masculinities in Schooling, How Black Boys Survive Modern Schooling, um, and saying that it was seminal to some of his own thinking. Dr Tony Sewell has been a trustee at the Science Museum and helped set up the Learning Trust in Hackney, he was recently appointed by the Mayor of London, uh, former Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, to chair an inquiry looking into how to achieve excellence in schools. Uh, basically, Tony's very impressive, and I know him in terms of his work <laughs> via... Uh, he used to write a lot for The Voice newspaper, which is a national newspaper, aimed at the black community, and um, I became familiar with his workings back then. Thank you for coming, Tony. We have next James Turner. James is the Chief Executive of the Sutton Trust, and he's been in post since February 2019. So congratulations, James, on your new post. Thank you. Uh, prior to that, James was deputy CEO of the Trust Sister Charity, the EEF. If any of you are teachers, that's probably like the one piece of research that every teacher, even if they don't care about research, is ever engaged in, which is their toolkit, which I know I used a lot when I was a teacher myself. Um, and he led the Trust's £135 million bid to set up the EEF in 2011. He was also the interim CEO and served as a founding trustee. James has worked for 10 years previously, leading policy, research and programme work, um, and done a lot of very impressive things uh, at the Sutton Trust and also EF. James is also a trustee of the Bullying Club, which is an excellent charity that I know very well, and the Centre for Homelessness Impact, governor of a comprehensive school in the East Midlands where he lives. Thank you for coming, James. 
Uh, next, I'd like to introduce Karen. Karen Isles, is that how I say your surname, Karen? Okay, so Karen uh, currently works at Achievement for All, and she's done a number of roles. She's been the regional leader for the South West, and she's currently national director with a room of quality assurance across the delivery of all the charity programmes. All age groups from early years, which is incredibly important but not spoken enough about, I might add. Um, school programmes, post-16, across England and Wales. And these programmes provide support and coaching for schools to meet the needs of all children and young people in their communities. Karen also has a particular interest in um, uh, improving things for young people with SEND needs, which again is something that's incredibly important and we don't talk often enough about in educational debates. Thank you for coming as well, Karen. Um, Manuel. Your one handwritten. My, my CV isn't as long as everyone else. It's all right. Okay, so um, Emmanuel Akpan Ingwan, who's here, my final panelist, he is the founder of Lighthouse. Lighthouse is um, is a charity. Charity? Yeah. Just want to check the status. Okay, so it's a charity that runs um, that aims to run children's homes with a strong focus on education. I first came across Emmanuel about two years ago, an educational event where he spoke incredibly passionately about his own time as a looked-after child, part of his childhood, and the importance of education. Emmanuel has worked for Teach First and also been a teacher himself and understands the importance of education for a very, very vulnerable group of young people who are often overlooked in schools. Um, thank you very much, Emmanuel. Okay, so these people are all very esteemed. Who am I? I am your chair today. My name is Aisha Small. And I work as innovation lead at an education think tank called uh, LKMCO. The reason I had to think there is because we're about to change our name. That's why I had to think mm. about it. <laughs> um, I'm passionate about creating social change, which leads to a fairer society for all people, which is why I'm interested in this particular panel. Uh, my job is hard to describe to my grandparents, but basically what it means is it's to convert research into a variety of outputs that impact practitioners, teachers, but also policymakers and various other people to make a change for young people. Why am I on this particular panel? Well, because I taught for 14 years in schools and I've been a maths teacher um, and also a senior leader in schools. And I started my career via a scheme called Teach First, which is very specifically aimed at improving social mobility. So I've been on a bit of a journey myself and I'm interested to hear everybody's views here. Right, enough about that. We will get started. So the way it will go is I'm going to ask each of the panellists to uh, kind of respond to a provocation that I gave them. And then I will ask a few questions possibly, but if you've got questions, then we'll get going with that straight away. I am a really, really anal chair. So when it comes to questions, if people don't ask questions, I'll ask you to be quiet but in a really nice way. Um, questions, not statements, guys. <laughs> All right, then I'm going to start off with... Um, Dr. Tony Sewell. I'll do it in the order that I asked everybody. Okay. <laughs> Tony, okay, so the, um, the provocation that I gave the panellists was social mobility in the UK has failed. We need to find another way to improve outcomes for our disadvantaged young people. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to run at this at a different angle and see how you go, how you go with this one. I, I actually think that the notion of social mobility. Is, is probably defunct, kind of a, 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 a in its in its kind of way in which it kind of focuses on getting people to feel guilty and then giving money to poor people, or in its kind of notion around um, the fact that there are a lot of privileged white male people out there holding all the kind of you know all, all the power, and that that poor kids or women or black people can't get, get a hold of that. 
And the, 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 those have kind of been some of the drivers around it. How, and then, of course, education has been the sort of... It, uh, and coming from, a, uh, from parents from a migrant background, this notion that, that education is the driver for you to get a better job or for you to get a better career, that also, I think, is nonsense now as well. So I think that... Um, yeah, I'd rather not deal with social mobility. I, I kind of want to deal with mindsets and opportunities and confidence... Um, and and one, of the, one of the supporting elements of this is what's happened in London. Now, I, I hate to sort of be so provincial here because I'm sure there is an audience that's wider than London in this, in this chapel. But um, I still will be sacrilegious and, 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 and stick, stick with the London notion because something happens in London over the last 10 years I've kind of been involved in that really does buck against this whole notion of, of, of this particular notion of social mobility. And that is um, simply that the, the community that has been driving London's great results outside of everybody, outstripping everybody else, uh, has, has been uh, a quite, essentially a black community, a black and Asian community that has been um, at the heart of this. And uh, the numbers show that. Like the girls in particular, um, and even when we talk about black underachievement, if you look at the numbers around girls from, say, a West African background, far outstripping, uh, say, for example, white working class boys or other, other, other groups, you go to um, a, a university like Imperial College, and Asian students are actually overachieving. You know, so, you know, what, 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 what is social mobility then? Well, for me, I kind of think that um, we probably need to start thinking around, um, and, and, and this might be a conversation less about white guilt and less about white people feeling bad about it or even middle class people feeling bad about it, and more about something internal in communities. And I think that that is making the, st the stuff stuck. And I'll just give two examples and I'll end. Um, there are some communities outside Liverpool, in the suburbs of Liverpool, um, that, and some schools that have never sent a, a single student to a university from that, those schools. And, they, and, they, and actually, what's interesting is, and I've had conversations with those head teachers, there's actually a pride, a I great know. old Liverpool pride. Can I, one second on it? Time's up, Tony. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, just last one thing. Uh, Quick. Uh, and, 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 and you have to ask yourself then, what are the, what are the factors that are stopping those, those communities wanting to enjoy that social mobile uh, success that, we, that, that we've, we, we, we've put around them? So my, my, my idea is that something else is happening, almost like a working class pride in failing. And something is going on there that we need to tackle that's a bit different than just trying to, um, as it were, trying to break down structures Tony, I'm going to stop you now. from being successful. Great yeah. place to stop. Thank oh. you very much. Um, okay, so, Karen. Thank you. Um, okay, so, achievement uh, for all is a charity. We uh, stopped uh, a lot of the work that we do nationally is around improvement. Um, we've moved away from talking about pupil premium quite recently to talk to educating people a little bit more about social mobility and what schools can do very much to, uh, to help uh, social mobility uh, agenda. However, 
Um, it isn't, as Tony says, it's not just, not just about schools, although schools have a huge um, influence. Um, the, if, if you look at Social Mobility Commission 2019, you look at the data there, you'll see that there are huge regional variations between um, social mobility effects of various different phases uh, of education. Early years is well behind nationally, um, and, and, and we said already that that's something we really, really do need to get to grips with. Um, but we still, if you look at DfE data, we still have a number of issues of secondary schools not 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 improving from RI, um, and that that sort of uh, you know that really is not going to help us to address the social mobility agenda. So, what's the solution? Because today is not just about negatives; it's about solutions. The solutions is that we look at evidence-based uh, uh, solutions, we look at impact and we start to work together. Um, I don't think anywhere in the country has particularly cracked transition uh, across schools. Um, it's, a huge, it's a huge agenda that we really need to sort of continue to get to grips with. Um, league tables really don't help the uh, social mobility uh, agenda. Um, we, we find that in schools everybody's so hung up on Ofsted and, uh, and on what their standards are and less about the actual individuals. Um, we need to also think about apprenticeships because a lot of apprenticeships are only level two as opposed to um, level three. Um, just a, a sort of reference to the housing agenda, um, we do know that there's a shortage of, of that, that full range of, of housing. We also know that, that various disadvantaged kids get moved from, get moved from school to school um, because of housing issues, um, and clearly that's not going to help. And I probably don't need to tell anybody in this room about the data to, uh, around looked after children. The fact that they are more likely to end up in prison than they are to get into um, university. So there's a couple of things that we've been doing um, as a sort of national charity. Uh, we are very much developing what we call our core strength and resilience uh, programmes for schools, uh, which is very much about I can, uh, as, as staff and as kids, I can, I do, I have, um, thinking about aspirations, um, access. And, and also attainment. So we, we've very much been developing that piece of work uh, for our schools. We also um, uh, have a sort of national agenda to, to raise uh, nationally. We kicked off the manifesto at the House of Lords in March 2018. That was hosted by June Knight and that was very much around uh, the education agenda, early years, well-being investment into cross-phase uh, cross education um, uh, and, and, and five areas that we very much want to politicians, key stakeholders, um, key leaders, uh, CEOs of various organisations to start to come Ten together seconds. and we'll continue our work in that manifesto and that, uh, that piece of work but um, yeah, it's not just about education. Thank you, Karen. Um, you mentioned about looked after children, uh, and Emmanuel, I know you have a very particular interest in that, so can you talk to your response? Yeah, I'll start with a bit about what we do at Lighthouse. So Lighthouse is an organisation that's committed to significantly improving outcomes for looked after children, and as a group, looked after children have some of the worst outcomes when compared to others. So only about 17% of looked after children will get 5A star to C, or level 4 as it is now. Um, about 17% will have a final conviction or 
reprimand upon, upon leaving care. Um, about half will be uh, homeless within uh, three years of leaving uh, the care system. Um, and this is only about sort of 73,000 children that we're, we're talking about, yet they make up half of our youth offender um, population. So a lot of our work is trying to get um, organisations to think differently about things. We are also setting up children's homes um, because those who are in residential care or children's homes actually have even worse statistics than, than, than other groups. Only about 4% will get 5A stars to CHUCSE. Um, so when it sort of comes to the sort of social mobility um, discussion, one of the things that I often urge is that we really look at really specific marginalised groups um, of children and really try to do much better. And we can do a huge better. I think of it as being um, a, a lot better. I think of it as being very low-hanging fruit because lots of the methods and processes and systems that we have place, in place for supporting those children are very, very poor. Um, so as um, Aisha said, I was a looked-after child um, I spent about six and a half years in foster care, um, got a bit older, um, realised that you know, I was pretty good at the whole education thing. Um, it's really great actually to see um, that Tony Seals on this panel because he probably doesn't remember, but I interviewed him when I was 17 years old, specifically about black academic underachievement. We had an interesting conversation that really um, inspired me to go on to, to higher education. And uh, around that time, I was told a, a social mobility story. And it came from my teachers and, and, and other people. And what they said, you know, if, if you work hard and you really try hard, um, you can go and achieve whatever you can and you can, you can exceed the expectations of others and uh, do better than your parents, etc. Um, what was really unfortunate when I was preparing for uh, this talk is, is that it's a story that we tell to lots of, lots of young people, but the story isn't necessarily true. Um, there is still a really strong link between what your parents earn and what you earn as, a, as an adult. Um, we have really challenging intergenerational issues whereby my parents, even though they were a lot poorer than me, were able to do things like afford their own house. Um, and there are a number of other things that they had access to which um, our current generation doesn't have access to. Um, and I think young people are starting to recognise that. Young people are really uh, quite uh, uh, worried about uh, ideas around social mobility and are starting to lose um, interest and belief in the idea of social mobility. Um, so what does that mean for us, given that actually, by some measures, it doesn't seem to have been a significant amount of social mobility um, taking place in, in our society since, since the 70s and people are beginning to lose faith and trust in it. Um, I think there are personally three things that we, that we need to think about. I think the first one is to ask some really fundamental questions about um, what we mean by social mobility, whether the idea of transcending your background and leaving your community to go on and do better and you know, go to dinner parties with middle-class people, as I often do, whether that's the sort of thing that we should be saying to people. And it seems that there's a backlash against uh, that in some communities, some of those sorts of Liverpool-based um, communities that, that Tony was talking about. Um, I think the second thing is around education. As a formal teacher, formal teacher, I believe really strongly in education. And there is an idea that education is an engine for social mobility, but I don't think we should be using it as such. And I think it leads to some really perverse outcomes around what we do in terms of encouraging uh, children to go into higher education. My time's up now. Time's up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Thank third you. one. If you ask me a question, I'll tell you the third ask one. Him ask him a question later, guys. Um, and finally, James. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I completely um, uh, think it's the case that social mobility in the UK is too low. I completely uh, believe it's the case that outcomes for disadvantaged children are poor, and the, and the Sutton Trust has spent 20 years sort of documenting that in various ways. Um, I think the term social mobility is imperfect, um, but I think it is a rallying cry that lots of people can get behind, and I think we have seen some progress as a result of that, albeit nowhere near enough progress. 
Uh, and I think there is a danger of abandoning it at this stage, and that these sort of debates can be a distraction. I'm not saying this one is, but this, these debates around terminology can actually be a, a distraction from action. Um, and we've, got a lot of, uh, we've done a lot of work on social mobility, the analysis of it, exactly what it means. And I think how you perceive it very much depends on how you frame it, because it is a very wide term, and it can mean lots of different things to different people. Um, so the way I see it um, is that social mobility and inequality are bedfellow, bedfellows. They're very closely linked. So we know that societies which are more equal are also more socially mobile. So it's not a question of either or. It's a question of addressing both. And certainly social mobility shouldn't be used as an excuse for high levels of inequality. Um, so to the point the other panellists have made, absolutely the only driver of social mobility is not education. Um, we think it's a powerful one. We focus our efforts there, but housing, tax policy, welfare policy, lots of other things um, influence social mobility, and you have to recognise that. The other thing, I think, is that social mobility is and should be about more than just what might be called the top end. So it's about every young person from the early years upwards of all talents in every part of the country. And I think that's you know, a very important thing to bear in mind when social mobility is banded around in the media. However, I don't think we should be ashamed of also caring about what happens in terms of who reaches the most powerful and influential positions in our society, because I think that does matter for society, because I think it shapes what we all do. And I think also we do low-income young people a disservice if we don't at least give them the same choice as their better-off peers to go on to highly selective universities and top professions if that is what they want to do. So for me, it's not about abandoning that roots or turning your back in the communities. It's about young people from poorer backgrounds having the same choices and being able to make the same sorts of decisions as those from wealthier backgrounds. So I do wonder if this whole debate around social mobility, social justice, the Labour Party rehearsing this at present, is actually a bit of a false dichotomy. Uh, the, the education and the charity sector is very good at creating false dichotomies in, historically. Um, and when I think about our own work, you know, I think what actually would change. When we were founded 20 years ago, we were set up to help low-income people through um, expanding educational opportunities. We now define our mission in terms of social mobility. I genuinely don't think we would do much different if we changed our mission statement to be about something else. It's about the substance of the work, I think. Um, so to, to the sort of original provocation, you know, I don't think it's that we should stop talking about social mobility, but we do, of course, need to talk about other things as well. Thank you. I'm going to ask one very quick question, and then because this is a fascinating panel and I'm sure you've all got questions, I will be quiet and take it from the floor. So my, my question, which is kind of related to what everybody said, is um, it's kind of one and a half questions, so I'm cheating. Emmanuel, when you mentioned about social mobility and something around, uh, you know, should we be just transcending people's background, which is the general narrative that I'm familiar with about social mobility... Um, I noticed um, in some stuff that you've written when I was doing research for this, you mentioned about community mobility. And can you talk a little bit about that and link it to maybe what James and some of the other panellists have said? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's my interpretation of social mobility, and as, um, and as I you know, often see it discussed, is the idea of um, individuals, um, often through education or some other process, um, uh, moving upwards into another sort of strata of, of our society. And 
in, in many ways, that, that links quite directly to my own experience of that. You know, I grew up on a council estate in East London, spent some time in the care system, uh, went on to uh, you know, what's often termed an elite university with a very different uh, back, uh, people of a very different background to the one that I came from, um, took on uh, certain uh, social airs and graces and expectations, went off and did a, a particular graduate programme. Um, and... And that results in me not really spending much time or coming across many people who, who come from a background that's similar to mine. And, and I think that's an unfortunate uh, result of us being a divided society. Um, but it does seem to be that, that there is a backlash in some communities against that idea. And if you do speak particularly to um, you know, people uh, in, in the north, and um, there are lots of people up there who are worried about their own children them moving down to, to London and, uh, uh, and, and being entirely disassociated from from their own communities. So I, I think we have to be really careful about that narrative of social mobility. Uh, community mobility is really, rather than thinking about the individual, thinking about communities um, and really uh, thinking about those communities being mobile, um, entire communities having better access to opportunities. And the idea that you, know, you can go off and study at a, an, an elite university, but there's nothing wrong with coming back and contributing to, um, to that community. I think some of the work that the Department for Education is doing in terms of opportunity areas is definitely a step in the, the right direction. And to a certain degree, it's about what you, what you measure. We need to stop thinking, I think, just about individuals and start thinking about entire communities, how we make things better for people. And some of these things are really basic. It's things like you know, uh, living wages, um, better uh, job opportunities in certain places. I think further education is something that we often fail to, uh, to look at in, in detail, and it might be the solutions to many of the uh, challenges that we face when it comes to social mobility. So um, my, my key point is to really think about social mobility at the, the level of the community rather than the individual. Thank you. Tony, you mentioned about maybe flipping the narrative on its head. So um, people often think about underachievement for black and ethnic minority communities, and you were saying that actually in certain aspects, especially in terms of the London effect, which is something that was um, being spoken about a lot, that these communities are actually doing better in some aspects of their education. My question to you is about, if that's true in schools, what is it that's happening in higher education and then later on so that we don't have a society where achievement in school also links to what is happening in education, in employment for those communities? Those effects actually do linger into um, the university. Let me give you one example. It's hard to generalise about people and, and, and groups, but say, for example a Bangladeshi girls in um, Tower Hamlets, where you end up in, 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 in almost this kind of... You can almost end up in a kind of uh, a circle where you just you go to uh, schools 90% Bangladeshi, right from straight through from nursery all the way through, and then you end up at Queen Mary University. Yeah, You never come out of that locked-in kind of thing. And, 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 and so you have to ask yourself, well, What's social mobile there? Maybe you end up working at um, uh, in Tower Hamlets Council and not at J.P. Morgan, you know. And and, and, and so you know, it, it, which which is only across the road, actually, you know, literally across the road. So what is what is it that is is stopping the dri driving this thing? And I actually think that it's a similar thing with the Liverpool thing. There is, a, there is a kind of, of a, a strange um, thing around the community and a sense of a fear or lack of confidence that means that we can't take advantage of, of real opportunities. And I think that's, 
that's the thing I'm interested in at the moment. I, I kind of think that, that the other stuff we've, we've looked at, and I'm not absolutely sure also whether a lot of the interventions work anyway, yeah? And I, I think a lot of them basically... And then, and then of course, you, the other thing is you, you, you reinforce the narrative often by talking to young people about what they can't do. Mm. Um, any questions from the floor? I'm, I've got questions all day, but uh, any questions from the floor, the audience? Just one question. Really, guys? Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the office? Good. Okay. Um, lady in the stripy top, please. Can you answer that, please, and then we'll take any other from this? Um, so I think it's um, I think it's really interesting, and um, it's, it's 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 a hugely complex um, <clears throat> scenario. But one of the things that I would say is that there is an element, a fair kind of research that looks into um, the successes of young people that come from independent, private, even uh, grammar school background compared to, to state. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that it refers to the successes um, is around aspirations. Um, and we can have aspirations and we can, we can provide opportunities. Um, they may well be slightly difficult opportunities, but we can have aspirations whatever school um, that, that we are in. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not a quick answer to that question, but actually, opportunities does think to aspirations. Um, you know, I don't know Manuel's story, but you know, somewhere along the line, you were driven probably by somebody who's inspirational to you, um, <coughs> and that, that's a key factor. Thank you, um, James. I know Sutton Trust has done research into state schools, particularly and. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we know that um, even when, when you look at two students who are the same, they have the same academic background, same credentials in terms of attainment, those from better off backgrounds tend to do better in the labour market in terms of what jobs they go into, uh, particularly if they've been to a private school, for example. So the question is, why is that? And there's theories around sort of cultural capital, networks, internships, um, soft skills you develop in that sort of environment. Um, so I guess the question for an organisation like ours and organisations working in this space is, um, to what extent do you challenge that, saying the selection process is therefore wrong because you're, you're missing out a whole range of people who haven't had that opportunity to develop those skills? Um, and we do that, but equally, with all the people we're working with this year, what do you do? And what you, what you try to do is develop and foster some of those skills which are rewarded in graduate recruitment processes or whatever so that more disadvantaged young people come through. So there, there is that difference, and it's a question of the extent to which you change the parameters and the extent to which you... Um, help disadvantaged children to build some of those skills. 
Thank you. And Tony, I know Generation Genius is really focused on this kind of thing, so can you... Yeah, I mean, I think I've tried to deliberately make the charity, which is trying to get kids who are really from poor backgrounds, who are all diamonds in the rough, to, to top universities. And they're there. They're at Oxford, Cambridge, UCL, Imperial. And, and they wouldn't have been there because we... But the, the key... And I've been trying to work out how we've been so successful in doing it. And I think that it's because we've tried to emulate what's going on in here. So as a direct answer to your question, I would say, yeah. I mean, I would say that the, 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 the notion of confidence, leadership... Um, lots of competition, um, there's particularly an emphasis on girls doing what I call the crunchy sciences, like you're doing engineering and not just doing medicine, um, and, and, and really making a kind of sense that, uh, that the world is, is yours. So therefore, and this is going to be a bit controversial, I actually think I almost feel there's a notion of national pride, that what you're talking about... Um, social mobility, and you're talking about the social rather than the mobility bit I'm interested in. But in fact, you actually have to believe in your own country and its ability to deliver it and, and, and actually almost tune out all the cynicism that's coming your way. Because... And I, I must want How do you one. believe that in evidence that it's not... <laughs> In the face of evidence that it's not delivering that for you as a particular member of a group, how do you believe that? It, 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 it almost doesn't matter, you see, because in, in your own... And this is where I disagree a little bit. In, in, the, in the end, you could have lots of negative things happening around you, and we, we all have negative things happening around us. But in order to move on, we have to tune some of that out, because that's, that propels us to succeed. If we were to sit back and take that all in, we wouldn't move. So you, 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 in, any, in any success programme, you're actually almost giving the kids a myth that they're going to get to the promised land. I mean, that's a, story, that's a narrative you have to tell. It's a fairy story, but you have to tell that. But that's part of, 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 of success. I'll give you one example. If you were in Nigeria and in Jamaica and you were black, you wouldn't have that, 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 that pressure on you because everywhere around you, you see everybody in those success models that look like you. So if you're in England, you've almost got to kind of almost re, retell the, a narrative that those, those young people can hang on to in order to propel the success. Um, right, I've got a few more questions. Uh, so what I'm going to do is take questions and then we'll get one panellist to answer it so we can get through all of them. Um, gentleman there with the beard. Okay. Um, I'm no, 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 no. Question, please. <coughs> Question's great. Schools, in grammar schools, in state schools, and treat them all the same. It's just something about that. 
Um, Manuel, I'm going to ask you that because you've had uh, experience in state schools, but then you went to elite university where lots of people go to private schools. So can you answer that, please? Uh, so it's a question about confidence and about being confident in particular environments. Um, because if, it, if it is, my response is, um, I think it's twofold. I think first of all, it's much, much easier to be confident in an environment where people look sound and act like you. Um, if you've been surrounded by a particular group of people and you go to work and it's the same type of people, then, of course, you're going to be far more confident. Of course, you're going to be far more confident if you're able to sit across the table from somebody who has similar experiences from you. Um, but, you know, short of changing our entire society, there are other things that I think that we can do in order to um, be able to support the, the transition of particular groups of people into certain environments. I think, to a certain degree, it's about changing the environments themselves. It's about, you know, ensuring that we have recruitment processes that are uh, that give the best opportunities to a diverse um, team of candidates by rem- removing particular barriers. And I think we've seen that d- done quite well by... Uh, certain companies actually just changing off PwC for example and remove some some barriers to their to their employment processes which has meant that they've been able to recruit from a a more diverse pool and I think that would help um, to support that. I think the other things we can do come back to um, what the the lady in the stripe top was saying about making sure that in our education system that um, children regardless of their background have access to similar opportunities Um, one of the things that I really uh, I'm slightly upset about was that I never had the opportunity to participate in something like debate at school and I saw how uh, my friends at university having done that were able to use that to um, their benefit at a later point. We need to make sure that we have those opportunities available in all our schools. Unfortunately some of the cuts to education funding mean that those opportunities are, are starting to slip away and I think that that's something that we should worry about. Thank you. Um, flowery top lady. <laughs> um. Um, James? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, think, I think it is the case. I mean, the, the biggest driver of who gets into university and then who gets into the top professions is attainment still. So to get into the top universities, you need good A-levels. To get into um, many top professions, those that haven't reformed their admissions process, you need degrees from certain universities or certain classes, basically. So that's still the main driver. But I think there is a lot of awareness now amongst the professions that they need to look more widely than that. And just as universities are looking at contextual recruitment, so most universities now would look at two applicants and not just look at what's on the paper, but their backgrounds. Are three A's from one school the same as three A's from another school? And they would take that sort of thing into account. I think we need to encourage the professions to do that more. You can't necessarily do that throughout someone's employment, but in terms of those graduate jobs, those entry-level jobs, people aren't coming to those jobs with the same experiences, the same background, the same networks, the same internship opportunities or whatever. So we need more contextual recruitment, I think, in those professions. Um, I've just got a quick question related to that. It's very quick. Uh, what are the panel's thoughts on blind applications? Because usually that's given as some kind of a panacea, and I've heard a number of people who are in charge of recruitment talk about the issues with it because of pattern, man- um, pattern matching that people aren't even aware they're doing. So does anyone on the panel have any views about blind admissions um, and job applications? 
I mean, I'd like to see so. I mean, what I think going back to the point about what actually works and evidence, you know, very important to me from my EEF background, I'd like to see what difference it makes because I think it could work either way. Because as an organization that spent a lot of time getting young people into top universities, for employers not to know that this person had got into a fantastic university from very difficult backgrounds, that could actually work against them. So I would like to see some evidence on whether it makes a difference or not. Thank you. Um, questions? I've probably got space for one or two more questions now, I think. Um, okay, so from this side of the room, because you guys are neglected. Uh, lady with the glasses. In that case, can we have a completely different question? If it's, a, if it's an extension, I want something completely different. So sorry about that. Lady in the orange. Sorry, can you go a bit louder? We can't quite hear. So um, you're talking about 30 hours a week in schools. A bit louder for us, please. We've got one minute to go now. We've got children with All right, so. All right, I'm going to ask Karen this one. So, Karen, um, yeah. basically, yeah. social mobility is not just schools' problem. No, it's absolutely not just schools' problem. And, and there are, I mean, as Tony says, there are areas around the country that um, have really good uh, community housing. Uh, so, 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 so uh, you know, I mean, it isn't just about housing, but, but there are organisations uh, such as Sovereign Housing, which is one example where actually, as a, as a major housing developer, they are very much about supporting their community and, and funding schools within that community. Um, so, I would say that that, uh, that is an agenda that we absolutely need to start pushing because it isn't just about education. But I would also say that there are success- within pockets of the country there are there are successes out there where whereby communities, housing, schools, uh, libraries, you know, all are working together. It's just it's very much around finding that sort of um, finding those stakeholders and those organisations within your local communities. But um, completely completely get the funding and you know, what, what else can we do? The other thing, of course, is that, you know, it's, it's for people to think very carefully about what are your, you know, how close are you working with parents as well as communities? Because, you know, we probably have all seen the research by Charles DeForge and, you know, the impact of good parent support and training around reading just to, as an agenda is something that mustn't be forgotten. Um. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. It's flown by. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody for coming. Thank you for my panellists. It's been a really interesting discussion. Please do come and chat to them if they're around later on. They've, they've got lots of thoughts, okay? So do do that. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Hey, people. I love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. 1. Subscribe. Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. 2. Share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. 
Also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.